Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Good day, everybody. What has been on my mind lately? Well, we are coming up on the Christmas season. I have been thinking about holidays. There's a great debate among Christians around how we celebrate our holidays today, particularly ones like Christmas and Easter. Some of us are aware, I myself included among them, that I believe it was since the reign of Constantine, whatever the guy's name was, the king who essentially made Christianity the, or at least a legal religion in the land, but then also started trying to make peace among all the different religions and paradigms and metaphysics idea, metaphysical ideas that were among uh, those in his kingdom, he started bringing together a bunch of different traditions and holidays and so on and fused them together, pagan, pagan with Christian, Christian with pagan, etc. Uh, at least that's where this sort of thing got started. And then after that, it's continued to be just this conglomeration of a bunch of different traditions, mythologies, and so on that have been fused into various ideas in our holidays. And the Christian debate simply has to do with, has this ruined the holidays themselves, or are they altogether just pagan holidays that we celebrate and therefore we corrupt ourselves and so on and so forth, or is it is it completely harmless? For an example of how this, um, or what kinds of things have been fused together, uh, Santa Claus for Christmas. He's not just an image of St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas being the man who uh, was, I believe, a Christian, probably a Catholic. Um, again, I do this while I'm driving, so I can't exactly do the research, but uh, he gave gifts to children um, who were impoverished out of a sense of probably Christian generosity. And so part of his behavior became the Mythology, legend, whatever you want to call it, of Santa Claus. But Santa Claus is also an image of Odin from Norse mythology. And this has to do with a number of the things that he does, such as riding in a sleigh with the reindeer. I can't remember exactly how that connects to Odin. I just know that it has something to do with it. Odin, I believe, had a sort of chariot that he rode through the sky, something to, the, to that effect. And the Christmas tree, I can't remember what pagan tradition that has to do with, but it certainly does. And then with Easter, Easter, the very name is comes after the name Ishtar, which Christians are going to be much more familiar with her name Ashtoreth, or Ashtoreth, from the scriptures. She's the goddess of fertility. Many of her worshippers were, in fact, homosexual or castrated, um, which seems like a bit of an irony, but it basically is the the celebration of sex in general, even if it, in its depraved forms. But Ishtar in general, goddess of fertility, etc., etc., this you know obviously seems like a very bad thing. That that by the way explains why we have the ro uh, sorry the rabbits and the eggs. Um, they are connected not of course biologically, but because they are both examples or images, if you will, of fertility. Um, anyway. So yeah, we have all these these mixtures of things in our holidays, and does it corrupt the holidays? Well, I'm going to cut right to the end for a moment here and say that I don't think so. 
And I want to go there because immediately what are the responses going to be? Well, of course, for some people so passionate about their purity and celebrating the holidays, or not celebrating them at all, a lot of these people become the bah humbug sorts, particularly around Christmas, of course. Um, they're just going to get pissed. And, you know, I understand. I don't agree. Anyway, but moving beyond the mere outrage, what kinds of arguments might come up? Well, of course, if we're going to have a Christian debate, then we're going to focus on the scriptures themselves. And what do the scriptures say? Well, on the side of the debate, then again, would say that these things corrupt the holidays and you're, you're bad if you celebrate them and so on. They could, for example, bring up the scripture that says a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. This comes from Paul and Jesus also makes a reference to it, which I'll get, I'll get to later. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay. What is that actually referring to? If that is a steady argument against the idea of pagan traditions in otherwise Christianized holidays, at the very least, um, would that follow? Well, if that's what that scripture is saying, then sure. A little bit of corruption makes the entire thing bad. Well, I do think that in a general sense, that is what that scripture is saying. But those scriptures go on. Jesus, when he mentions leaven, he is specifically talking about the leaven of the Pharisees in an analogy sort of sense, or analogous sense. Paul, when he talks about a little leaven leavening the entire lump, specifically speaks of teaching. And he is talking about false teaching. And then even in the account with Jesus, this has to do with the story when the uh, when the disciples forgot to take bread on a journey, and then Jesus starts talking about the leaven of Pharisees, and they think that he's talking about the fact that they didn't bring bread in some vague sense, which as a fellow human being with uh, sin in my background, I could definitely understand the insecurity. But no, Jesus was not even talking about that. He was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees, which it records in the scriptures, in the Gospels, that the disciples understood later on. Anyway, so what is he really getting to? In both cases, they, rather, Jesus and Paul, are getting to false teaching. So, if false teaching is the specific reference having to do with these scriptures, or the specific point, then we simply ask the question, Though there are these pagan traditions in these modern-day holidays that at least we celebrate in the West and in America, though these things are there, are they taught? Are we taught, for example, that Ishtar or Ashtoreth is the, god, the true goddess of fertility? No. Are we taught that Odin is the reason for the season? No. Absolutely not. So I would find that scripture as an argument point to be fairly weak. Now, what other scriptures can we come up with? Well, I could see some clever Christians bringing up the very argument of some of the scriptures that I have mentioned when I'm talking about one's community. Paul, or I believe it might be Peter, always get the two mixed up quite easily in the epistles, uh, re reiterates the Old Testament saying, I think the Old Testament or it's some sort of Jewish proverb outside the scriptures uh, that a little bit or sorry, um, bad company ruins good morals. OK, 
So yes, and by the way, I would agree with that scripture in general. Yes, a little bit of bad company ruins good morals. Why? Because if you are fighting for the approval of those you call your community, and they are engaged in sinful acts, then in order to uh, to persistently, to consistently rather, gain their approval, eventually you're going to have to do what pleases them. And what pleases them is what will ruin you. So yes, even one person kept in your community is going to either corrupt you or chase away the good people in your community if they're there, or both, if you choose to keep them around. I've noticed this kind of tendency even in my small group. If you have people who disrupt the conversation, and again, my small group is a conversation-based group, if you have people in there who disrupt the conversation, who throw things off, who focus on themselves, or whatever it might be, well, the entire night is essentially ruined, and eventually the rest of the people who are decent conversationalists and understand how to be fair, they don't really want to be there anymore. And I have had to gently but still firmly get those people out. Otherwise, the entire group was going to be ruined as a whole. So anyways, yes, I believe I agree with the premise. Now, does this parallel with pagan traditions or pagan imagery existing in Christianese, Christianized holidays? Uh, I don't see how you could make that comparison. How is a tradition like a person? A tradition informs a person, but a tradition is not a person. A custom is not a person. An image, a tree, a statue is not a person. It is a person who can behave in such and such ways, whatever it is that you're talking about. An image, a tradition, a statue, it doesn't have will. It cannot make choices. It cannot corrupt because it has no actions it can take. It is entirely different from a human. So no, I would not accept that argument. Now, let's counterpoint these arguments by looking at what the scripture talks about as far as what does in fact corrupt a person, or arguments that were made about corruption that were rejected. Let's see, where do I want to begin? Job, in the Old Testament, talks about the fact that if he were to look at the sun, and I believe it was put his hand over his mouth or something like that, it's, it's pretty clearly a sort of um, religious and homage-paying gesture towards the sun. He would corrupt himself if he did such a thing. And I believe that he is entirely right. Why? Because he, being a human being, is making a specific choice. But it is, again, he, not the son, doing the action. He may be taking on a sort of tradition and acknowledging an object, but he is the one choosing to honor that object in a particular fashion. If he did so, as he claims, he would be going against God. He would be corrupting himself against God. Now, I can even hear the uh, counterpoints being made here. What about Constantine himself? Did he, by, quote, honoring these images, corrupt himself because, and then by proxy us, 
because he started bringing in these images and bringing together these holidays into a single singular tradition. I don't know, because I do not know the heart of Constantine. Or if I'm getting his name wrong, you can look it up yourself. The king who brought together all these traditions and legalized Christianity in his nation. He himself became at least self-professedly a Christian. Did he corrupt himself? I, I have no clue. He was trying to bring peace in a nation that was beginning to have a increasing heat of discord. Because, of course, he was ruling over a nation, over a kingdom, that had all kinds of different traditions, all kinds of different worships and religions and so on. So he tried to bring peace. That was his primary goal. So by doing so, was he paying homage to a Christmas tree? I don't think so. Now again, I can't judge him entirely. It is God alone who will be the judge of that man's heart. And probably already to some extent has been. But the judgment itself has not yet come. Anyways, I digress. Final judgment. But I digress again. I, I don't know. But the parallel does not match. Job had to make a particular decision to pay homage to an image, or in this case an object being the sun, in order to corrupt himself. Now, Jesus was faced with a similar argument to what we're discussing right here and now. It came to him via the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very specific about cleanliness laws. And they argued that if you took in anything even remotely unclean and you hadn't gone through the full ritual of cleanliness, that it corrupted you. Now, I don't believe this was a specific conversation. I'd have to look it up again that Jesus was having with the Pharisees at the time. But whatever the case, Jesus engages with that argument in general. And what does he say? He contradicts it flatly. What he points out is that what corrupts a person is not what goes into the person, it is what comes out of the person. It is worships, lies, slander. It is not what goes into a person, it is what comes out of a person that corrupts the person. And of course, by making this case, he also condemns the Pharisees because, again, he had mentioned, as we've already talked about earlier, that the Pharisees engaged in false teaching. And if they were indeed teaching that which went against the Father, against God, then they corrupted themselves by Jesus' own argument. But let's look at this in context to the traditions of Christmas and Easter. Is it what goes into a man that corrupts them? Well, Jesus says absolutely not. So in that case, if you want to take it on the literal sense, if we were even to eat things that were part of her an ancient pagan tradition, would that of itself corrupt us? No. But what comes out of a person? What comes out of a person is worships, slanders, etc., lies. If we were to pay homage to the food in the pagan tradition of its origin, would we then be corrupt? Well, based on Job and Jesus, the answer is yes. But the eating in and of itself does nothing, according to Jesus' own argument. In like manner, if we're eating Easter eggs, candied Easter eggs, if we're finding coins and candy in plastic Easter eggs and 
keeping the coins and eating the candy without any reference or acknowledgement of any pagan tradition, are we being corrupted? Well, by Jesus' argument, we are not. But if we were to acknowledge the pagan tradition and acknowledge Ishtar and her fertility powers or whatever, maybe the stories of Ishtar, of Ashtoreth, would we then be corrupted? Well, according to Jesus' argument, yes. So I can still hear the dissenters saying, okay, but then doesn't that mean that the pagan traditions being uh, wrapped up into our current holidays, doesn't that bring us a temptation to follow those traditions, to find them into so worship? Uh, I guess you could argue that. But that takes, once again, the decision in modern day to seek that old tradition, to seek the pagan root. You actually have to go out looking for it. In other words, you have to do something. Something has to come out of you in the first place, even to discover that those traditions exist. That is something that the naysayers have already done. Otherwise, they wouldn't know that those pagan traditions existed. The fact of the matter is, in modern day, the only things that that most people, laymen, acknowledge as the tradition of Christmas and of Easter is Jesus. Christmas is celebrating the birth of Jesus. On the right day, no. That again goes back to Constantine and why everything was arranged the way that it is, which has more to do than just Constantine. It has to do with so many different things throughout history that have led to the point where now we celebrate it in the middle of winter. And by the way, one of the reasons for that that has nothing to do with any religious tradition is the fact that human beings having good celebrations in the middle of winter, or the most generally depressing and difficult time of the year, is a way of merrymaking when otherwise things are hard. It helps buoy us up. So the idea of celebrating the birth of Christ with all the various traditions that we have with Christmas in order to buoy us up during a hard time of year, are we really going to have a problem with that? Now, again, I'm not ignoring the fact that there's a lot of other things involved, such as the Yule Log and so on, that all have to do with various different traditions, very, very few of them Christian. But in any case, the fact of the matter is that most people in general don't even have a concept that there is anything having to do with some other religion or mythology in these traditions. So you have to go looking for them to find them. I don't really see a strong temptation there in and of itself. You have to make the choice. And then even beyond that choice, if you find the pagan tradition, you would have to make the choice to so worship, to acknowledge this pagan tradition instead of the Christian one. Now, finally, some of you will have already thought of it as I was going through the argument of what goes not what goes into you, but what comes out of you corrupts you, as Jesus said, with the instruction that Paul gave to the churches in the epistles. There was a question about whether or not eating meat that had been used in sacrifi sacrificial tradition to a pagan god or goddess was safe for a Christian to eat without corruption. Now, Paul does something very interesting and very Paul-like. Paul -like. He points out that 
the idols, the gods and goddesses, the gods of myth and pagan tradition are nothing. Now, what is he echoing? He's echoing, of course, the Old Testament, which he knew very well. He knew the Torah. He knew the writings of the Old Testament. And, of course, he knew a great deal more than that. What is he referencing? As far as I can tell, he is referencing when God points out through the prophet, I can't remember which one, that when an Israelite takes a piece of wood and forms it into an idol, he then uses that same piece of wood, the leftovers, to cook his food, to build maybe a chair so he can sit in it. I can't remember all the uh, examples that the prophet uses, well, the God uses through the prophet, but whatever the case, he burns some of it, he uses some of it to build other things. And then while maybe he's eating the food that he used on the ashes, or from the now ashes of the same wood, he bows down to the idol and worships it. God is making a very defined point. That this idol is nothing. It has no ears, it has no eyes, it has no mouth, it cannot speak, it cannot see, it cannot hear. Paul echoes the same point, pointing out that these idols are nothing. So if we as Christians understand that they are nothing, then we also know that meat sacrificed to them is equally nothing special, nothing different. If it's been cooked in a good way and so on and it's safe to eat, then it effectively has no power. Now, Paul does make an exception, just to be thorough in my argumentation here, he does make an exception for the fact that if the host tells the Christian specifically that this meat has been used in sacrifice to a pagan idol, then it is probably best that the Christian not consume the meat. Is that because it somehow magically makes it harmful to the Christian? No. But what about the Christian witness? If the host specifically points that out, maybe to tempt the Christian, maybe to test the Christian, then the question is, what is the right thing to do? Well, what is the motive of the person telling them that it was sacrificed to a pagan idol? I mean, one thing that I could easily see is the pagan is asking, are you going to walk the walk? Or do you just talk the talk? Well, if you then refuse the meat, it very much looks like to the pagan, yeah, you genu genuinely do mean to worship this god and not their god. Now, that's at least one possible motive, but... Paul is kind of covering a variety of plausible bases. And it could harm the conscience of the Christian as well. If I'm going to eat this, even though I am fully aware and have been made aware, because that was one of the cruxes of the question, we don't know what meat has been used in sacrifice and what hasn't, because it was then sold often in the open market. If they have been explicitly made aware what really happens in the heart and in the conscience of the Christian? It may not be full corruption and idol worship, but eh, that's probably not the wisest thing to do. But back to the general argument, Paul points out that these things cannot harm us because the idol is nothing. So, back to Christmas and Easter. If there are idolatrous, pagan things mixed in with the Christmas and Easter holidays... Does that corrupt us? Well, the pagan myths and idols are nothing, according to Paul. So can they harm us? Nope. They do not have that power in and of themselves. 
So this goes back to the question is, what do you do? If you should choose to worship in a different way, some pagan tradition, whatever, that would corrupt you. But if you're just enjoying the pretty Christmas tree, I mean, according to the arguments just brought up, what is a Christmas tree? Like it would. A tree that's now been cut off from its root and it still has some pine needles growing out of it. And now you put some pretty baubles on it and so on. Many people use a religious symbol, a Christian religious symbol on the top of the tree. The gifts, which, yeah, are a mixture of celebrations of various kinds. There was a Jewish tradition based on what happened with uh, Esther, wherein they gave gifts to one another. There's the tradition of gift giving that has some loose root in the idea of God freely giving his son. At least I've heard that referenced. I don't think that that's traditional in the older sense, but it at least makes some vague sense. And of course, there is St. Nicholas. What is the tree? A shiny, bobbly tree, plank of wood, just like the idol in the Old Testament. It's nothing. It's a tree. Tree's a nice thing. No big deal. And it has no power to harm us because of some vague connection to an ancient tradition that nobody remembers or cares about. And by the way, a little bit of a side note, the only tradition that we are specifically told as Christians to celebrate, as far as I know, in the New Testament is communion. And communion isn't an annual thing. It's based on the Jewish tradition of Passover, but it could be every week at church. Now, originally, it was actually a pretty large feast, which is why in the epistles we get the image that uh, people were getting drunk on communion wine because they were having too much. But anyway, today we just have the little wafer and the grape juice. And, well, I think we could definitely do better. Uh, we could certainly do worse, but that's the only thing that we're told to celebrate. All the other feasts and holiday, holy days and so on and so forth are all designed around a specific purpose. And I don't mean to argue that this is the only purpose, but one of them was just to remember. Remember what? Remember when the Israelites were living in tents. Remember when the Israelites escaped from Egypt and they had to eat unleavened bread and uh, they ate lamb before the angel came and took all the firstborn of Egypt even the animals. What are these things? Again, it's one of the things that they are wrapped or based around, not the only thing, but it's remember, 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 remember. What do modern Christians do with Christmas and Easter? At least ideally, they remember and celebrate the birth of Christ. They remember and celebrate the death and resurrection, specifically resurrection of Christ. That is in keeping with the heart of the tradition of holy days. And Easter, by the way, has a Jewish connection as well. A Jewish holiday, one of them, has to do with the celebration of the first fruits. Easter, today's traditional Easter, is timed around that same point. And that also has to do with fertility. The first fruits is the fertility of the ground itself. And as we also know, the Israelites, or if you are if you know your Old Testament fairly well, you know that the Israelites were to give the firstborn of their flocks as well. Again, fertility. So the celebration of the first fruits connects with Easter, connects with fertility, and in the Christian tradition, 
is to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So, in conclusion, have we corrupted the holidays by having all these Christian things and remembrances wrapped up with pagan traditions and symbols and images? I would say it is almost the exact opposite. If anything, the fact that today almost everybody considers Christmas to be about Jesus and Easter to be about Jesus is a massive flex. It is a show of power and dominance over all of the ancient lies, myths, and traditions that had nothing to do with truth. The Christian tradition is the one that we now remember, at least if we understand these things at all. I could talk about the corruptions that have to do with capitalism, profit motive, that is the selling of the things that we use for gifts and the candy during Easter and so on and so forth. That's another discussion, really. But nobody really cares or remembers any of the pagan traditions. So the fact is that these holidays that we were never explicitly told to celebrate in the first place, but do have a common root of remembering, have completely overshadowed all of the strange and seemingly random traditions of trees and baubles and eggs and rabbits that are now associated with the holiday. Christianity won. But these people try to go back and say, no, 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 actually there's this subversive power that operates in the holidays and has corrupted it all, and all the Christians who celebrate it are therefore also corrupted. B.S., in my opinion. And going back to the debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, the Pharisees, again, were very particular about doing what? About making sure that their traditions were pure. The washing was done exactly the way it was supposed to be done. Every I dotted, every T crossed. Everything needed to be pristine and perfect. All the letters of the law had to be followed exactly. And what did Jesus do with that? He not only told them that it's almost the exact opposite, that it has to do with the honesty of your heart. It has to do with the intent and the actions that you take. Not how perfectly you do every little detail. And he told them, that they were wrong. It wasn't just that it's almost the opposite, it's that they were completely off base. See, Jesus, as I have, has, as I have argued before, what I think that he did is he showed us what God is like in the context of a human being living in Israel at a particular time in history. He is the personality of God with the face of a man. He showed us what God is like. Or if you will, he is the very image of God in a man in Israel at a specific time under the rule of Pontius Pilate. And he, in keeping with his father, rejected the proud. 
In the Old Testament, it talks about the fact that God is opposed to the proud. And in like manner, Jesus was opposed to the Pharisees. You could also say, though it's a bit of an indirect argument, that when Jesus is talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, he's not just talking about false teaching, he's talking about arrogance. Why? Why would I argue that? Because if you believed in the Pharisees' teaching, that as long as you get all these things right and do everything exactly in this pristine, perfect manner, at least to a letter of law, then you're the right kind of person and you can lord that over other people. You're better than them. You can measure it. Because, oh, they don't quite wash their dishes perfectly, but we do, and we're better. Jesus opposed the proud just in the same way. And in my opinion, this argument that the impurities that are mixed up in our current holidays, that that somehow corrupts us, is exactly the same. It is a parallel to the Pharisees' argument about dishes and cleanliness. They wanted physical things to be perfect so that they didn't have to live virtuously. And Jesus says, uh-uh. You have to live virtuously. And if you do that, it hardly even matters if you're eating out of a dirty dish. Might matter to your gut, might matter to your, your immune system. But it doesn't matter to your virtue. Pride always tries to escape the responsibility to live right. And people who argue about the impurities and holidays consider themselves righteous for doing so. My first question is, what aren't you doing? As you talk about your purity and how you don't celebrate Christmas. Do you treat your wife well? Do you treat your children well? Do you have peace at home? If I was in those people's shoes, I would stop arguing about the little details of certain traditions and start being concerned with whether or not I was treating people well in my everyday life. So that's all I have for today, and I hope, as always, that gives you plenty to think about. Until next time.